the almighty maker of heaven and earth, is the one who leads. He is out before us and he is leading the way. He is leading the charge for all of mankind to follow. When he speaks to us, do we listen? When he speaks to us, do we not just listen? Do we listen because it is he who is speaking? an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. God is our shepherd. The Lord God is the one who goes before us. The Lord God is the one who knows everything about us. And he still has this compelling, awesome, magnificent, passionate love for us. The more we think on these things, the more we are astounded by this level of love. Do we think on these things? Do we dwell on these things? Do we meditate on the word of God for these things? Folks, I want to start off today by mentioning the Patreon fundraising platform for this brand new ministry, Into the Word Ministries. And it is still in its first year, so in my eyes, it's still brand new. And I invite you, first of all, please, please, please join me in prayer over this. Join me in prayer over the Holy Spirit's work, over the Word of God to be preached boldly and passionately and truthfully and humbly. That it would be the Lord God who is speaking, the Holy Spirit which is speaking the words of God, and that it would not be of my own accord that I would be faithful to the charge God has set me to. I invite you to join me in prayer for this on a regular basis because I very much need your prayers. And all glory and magnificence and wonder and thanksgiving be to God. I also invite you via the Patreon fundraising link that I mentioned before, and it will be in the show notes as well, If you have been encouraged by this ministry, if you feel that God wants you to help financially with this ministry, 
That would mean a lot to me. And I would be very thankful for those who feel led to give to this first stage of Into the Word. Let's open in prayer, and then we're going to be opening our Bibles again to Genesis chapter 17. The one who sees, the one who sees all, the one who sees good, the one who sees evil, the one who knows the intentions of the hearts of men, the one who knows our thoughts and our contemplations, the one who sees as we weigh, will we go this way or will we go this way? Will we choose the straight and narrow path or will we diverge into the dark, treacherous, wicked path that is wide and many follow it? When, Lord God, you were calling us to walk on the straight and narrow path and following you, our great shepherd. Please illuminate our eyes to the scripture today to hear what you want to say to each one of us. And may we glorify you in the way that we think, in the way that we move, in the way that we speak, in the way that we act. For you are worthy of all the glory, O God. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is our fourth week in Genesis chapter 17. You will remember at the start of Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, and he started this conversation with Abram. There had been a period of no information that we have in recorded text from the previous verse at the end of chapter 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And then we have 13-year span for the start of Genesis chapter 17. And all of Genesis chapter 17 is one conversation that the Lord is having with Abraham. Last week, we spoke about Isaac's birth, promised by God that this would be the child of the promise, that the offspring that the Lord had promised to Abraham and Sarai, all the way back from Genesis chapter 17, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, when God first called Abraham to himself, he said that he would have many, 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 many offspring. And the Lord is carrying it to fruition in God's timing. Not in the timing that Abraham and Sarah preferred when they rushed into sin. 13 years earlier from today's text. God works in his timing. God wants his children to follow him, to be obedient to him, to love him. And those whom you love, you speak out of that love. You act out of that love. It is because of love in you for this person. It completely changes your entire sphere toward this person. 
those whom you love in your life, those whom you truly love with a deep love, with a committed love, that regardless of what this other person does, you will love them. I'm talking about that type of love. You become so tuned in to this other person. This is God's design for our relationship with him. This is God's design for human relationship with another human, that you think about this person, that you think good about this person, that you think thoughts of desire to be conversing with this person, to touch this person, to hold this person, to be generous to this person, to serve this person, to be gracious to this person, to be merciful to this person, to be forgiving to this person. This is the depth of love that is going to change the way that we see God and the way that we worship God. And back to the text in Genesis chapter 17. God has promised Isaac. Isaac, he laughs because Abraham laughed. Isaac would be the child of the promise. And God said that he will establish his covenant with Isaac along the continuity that God uses repetition to affirm to Abraham what he is saying to Abraham. He says it. He says that the covenant that he is establishing with Abraham will be an everlasting covenant for his descendant and his descendants after him. And then when he says that Isaac is the child of the promise, that Isaac is to be born from Abraham and Sarah in their marriage, and that he will establish an everlasting covenant with Isaac and then with his descendants after him, God is using continuity to show the truthfulness. And for those who are thick-headed at times, Abraham and Sarah, that God is going to do what he has said he will do. Verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Verse 22, today's text, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was how old? 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, verse 24. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, repetition, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Again, remember, all of chapter 17 is one conversation at one time. Yes, this was broken up into four sermons, but this was all one conversation that happened at the same time. So when God gave the command for circumcision two sermons ago, this was the same conversation. 
what do we see here before we talk about circumcision? What do we see here at the very start at verse 22? God went up from Abraham. I think this is very specific that Scripture uses this type of language. An ascension, a supremacy, an authority over that Abraham and God are not on the same level. That goes without saying. But that God is in authority and dominion over all things. The God is in dominion and authority over Abraham. The God is in authority and dominion over Abraham and his everlasting covenant of descendants after him. The God went up. God goes up because he leads. God directs. God has dominion. God has authority. God is over all of the nations. God is over all of the peoples. God is over all of the earth. And God comes to Abraham. And God chooses Abraham, a man. He leads with Adam. He leads with Noah. That Adam he starts with Adam. He created Adam first, that Adam would be a leader to Eve, a servant leader, that they would be helpers, that she would be a helper fit for him, and that they both would worship God, but that in God's structure of authority, and watch this, he puts the man first. Why? Because God chose that. If scripture had been written differently, if history had been written differently, if creation had been different and God started with woman, and then he, and he had woman over man in their household, then it would be different because God is the one who sets the structure. It's not man. It's not even men. It's God who set it. And let's also be mindful of this. God sets it that Abraham would be his shared dominion leader in certain respects. That he is to lead his wife with a servant leader's heart. And that both of them are to worship God. Are we of equal value and worth, men and women, in the sight of God in all things? Yes. 100%. And the greater burden, I do believe, is on the men. Because there is a heavy weight of responsibility before the Lord God. Adam had that. He had that weight, but I'm not sure he felt that weight. Because he didn't act accordingly at the temptation with the serpent in Genesis 3 or he would have shut it down because he would have felt the weight of what he was responsible for to God. Abraham is to lead his wife 
and that in certain respects, he is to be accountable to God for the actions and behavior of his wife. That he is to lovingly preach the gospel to her, speak scripture to her, show worship to God to her, to edify her and encourage her and forgive her and love her and be gracious to her and be generous to her. This is God's call to the men in marriage. So God leads. God is far and away above the leader, the one and only leader. And below that, in each family structure, we have the man of the household, whom God has called to be a servant leader, and then the woman of the household, his wife, and if there are children, below that, below them. God calls the men to lead because God is seeking men to follow him. And we are his messengers. We are to be his lights. It's like the Great Commission. We are to be his lights in our family. We are to be a mirror of God to our family. We are to be loving and to our children, loving and generous and gracious and forgiving and humble. Not thinking much of ourselves, but making much of God to our family. When you see your kids, when your kids see you, rather, <laughs> worshiping God with your entire life, yes, though, may you sin at times. They see a culture and a lifestyle and a pattern of behavior that you are worshiping God, that you are talking about the greatness and the magnificence of God to your children, to your wife, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. Your children are not going to think that you are making life about you. And therefore, they have the best example of how to live their lives later. Because there is no value in living for your own pride in this earth. Lo, though Satan would tempt you to believe that that is true. Lo, that the evil and the wickedness in this world would tempt you to believe that is true. That's not true. God leads about his glory. And he calls men to lead their wives and their children and their church to be about the same thing, God's glory. Wives are to submit themselves to their husbands as long as it is in holiness and not in sinfulness, and they are to be about God's glory. Verses 23 through 27 of today's text. Talk about the action of circumcision in obedience to what God commanded back in verses 10 through 14. Again, this was all one conversation that God had with Abraham. And I spoke about circumcision as a topic in the sermon two weeks ago on September 10th, and you can look that up 
if you have not heard it yet. And there is more to expound on there in greater detail, and I won't repeat it all today. But being called out from the world and being in relationship with God is all about being set apart. It's about being with God. It's about being in relationship with God. The more you live your life on earth, the more you realize these polarizing opposites. The more you are disappointed in life. You pick up your Bible and you read about the magnificence and the holiness and the perfect love of Almighty God. And you think, this is nothing like the world. You're disappointed in life. You get sick or you get injured. Or you, you have someone close to you die in this life. Or you have someone else or someone else or someone else. And you notice the fallenness of this world and the polarizing opposite that is from the kingdom of God. That in the kingdom of God in heaven, that all things are made perfect in him, in his love, in who he is, just to be close to God. We have not seen God and yet our longing is for God. We had this compelling stirring in our heart to know God more. God knows us completely. We want to know God more. And we see the fallen nature of this world. And whatever you are chasing in this pagan world, it's not going to satisfy you. Because only God can do that. And it is in this free will that you have to choose God to know that relationship. And then you will know an abiding love and a compelling love and a jealous love in the best way. Love is jealous in God, and that is the best type of love. That is a love that says, I don't want to share you with the world. I'm not going to share you with the world. Jealous love is a good thing. God says four times in the book of Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. And we are found and we are made complete and we know our identity and we know our purpose only when we are set apart from the pagan practices of this world. And folks, you and I both know Different aspects for each individual, but you and I both know that there are things in this world which are so attractive to our fallen hearts. That whether we're chasing money, or we're chasing fame, or we're chasing popularity, or we're, we're chasing other people's stuff, whatever it is, there's something that we're trying to defeat that is wrong in our hearts. Because Satan has great influence and he wants to pull you away from the path of God. He wants to distract you from the incredible love and the perfect love of Almighty God. And he wants to make you weak and he wants to make you ineffective. 
and he wants to make you look just like those with no faith. And God says to Abram, I'm calling you out from that. That I have a plan for you. Elsewhere, God says that I have a plan for you to give you a hope and a future. And that's what he does for all of us. God gives us this secure hope in him. See, the aspect of sin and the aspect of the pagan practices of this world and of fame and idolatry and greed and lust and anger and all, all of these things, jealousy, they're not lasting. We think for a moment that any one of those will satisfy the cravings in our heart, but only God does. And what we realize with the world and from Satan's speech is it lasts for a fleeting moment, and then you see decay. You see death. You see sin for what it is. And God says, I have so much better for you than that. If you were only to have a glimpse of the powerful love that I have for you, if you were to hold that glimpse every single day of the rest of your life on this earth of my powerful love for you, this wonderful, amazing, out of this world, this supernatural, because it is God and because he is out of this world. He is not bound by the rules of this world, which the Lord God has made, and pagan men now rule in so many respects. God says, if you know the love that I have for you, if you know the love that sent Jesus to the cross for you, you would not live for the things of this world. You would not live in the things of this world. You would operate in this world and you would conduct business in this world, but you would be tethered to me. You would be tethered to my word. You would be tethered in the expectation and the hope of the kingdom of God and what is to come. What is here and what is building the kingdom of God on earth and what is to come when we are with him face to face. Your life would be different. Polarizingly different, your life would be set apart for God and for the purposes of God. Abraham took action. That's what we see in today's text with the circumcision. Abraham didn't stop at words. Abraham took action. And this was a very personal action and a very painful action, but it was what God had commanded for him. And God said this in chapter, uh, excuse me, same chapter, verse 14, any uncircumcised male, after he'd given the command of circumcision, any uncircumcised male who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. And he has broken my covenant. God made it explicitly clear 
what the parameters were to the commandment. And God links it to the covenant. So this everlasting covenant, God with his people, includes circumcision here. And Abraham, at 99 years old, and his son at 13, Ishmael, circumcised himself, circumcised Ishmael, and circumcised every male in the household, as God had commanded earlier in verses 10 through 14, because God commanded it. God spoke, Abraham listened. God spoke, Abraham didn't just listen, he took action. Which brings me to three aspects, three critical aspects for faith in Christ. And this is for all. This is for men and this is for women. Again, equal of equal value and worth in God's eyes. And God calls us all to these things. And I'm also going to make specific mention to the men. Because this is going to defeat some of the stereotypes about men and masculinity in our world. Number one, vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable and consider yourself absolutely differently than you did before when you approach the throne of God. If you are going to take the name of Christ onto yourself by saying, I am a Christian, I want to be a Christian, which means in Christ or of Christ. Then you're going to need to live utterly and completely differently. Masculinity in this world promises if you're buff, you're ripped, and you have an attitude, then you're a man. It could be a rebellious attitude. It could be a careless attitude. It could be a rude attitude. It could be a direct attitude. It could use people instead of being vulnerable to them and actually caring about them and having relationships with them. It could be about going after everything you want to go after in this life and you can do it because you're a man. God says, absolutely not. True men. True men in me are vulnerable because we are vulnerable to God. You have to lay down your pride to approach the Lord God. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And women, too, when you approach God, you have to lay aside your pride and be vulnerable to God. Because again, folks, God leads and we follow. We only lead those in our lives when God specifically calls us to lead those people in our lives. Again, men are servant leaders to their wife and to their children. Women are leaders to their children, along with their husband, if there is both a man and a woman in the household. 
and men are called to lead the church. Men are called to servant lead in so many capacities because, get this, if men led like God loves mankind, there would be no wrong in that. There would be no hurt in that. There would be no brokenness in that. That they would be loving and generous and gracious and have sweet speech, not harsh speech, not rude speech, not filthy speech, but sweet words of God and of scripture and of love and of generosity. God loves with extravagance. We ought not think of love just in this world's definition. We ought to see a love from God in such extravagance that it moves us to love extravagantly. We ought to see that our hope and our future is so secure in God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us that we can now move our identity, our personal worldly identity to the side and say, I'm going to love people. I'm going to love as many people as I can, and I'm going to preach the gospel to them because my hope and my future are secure in God. I don't have to wonder about that anymore. Jesus secured all that. He met the requirement. And he set us free from worry and from fear and from pride, which would destroy us otherwise. Number two is humility. Humility is linked with vulnerability in a number of respects. You may be thinking that. Humility requires you not just being vulnerable to your identity or vulnerable to who you thought you were, but humility requires the stepping down. Humility requires the... I see vulnerability as like pushing it to the side and revealing who you really are. And humility is kneeling before God and saying, yes, God, you are the almighty. Yes, God, you are the leader. Yes, God, you are God. And I am your servant. I am your child. I am in great need of you at every moment because I see your authority. Because I know that you are the author and creator of all things and that you are the sustainer of all things. Therefore, I know that I only have breath in my lungs at this very second at your pleasure. That I'm not the master of my outcome. You are. You alone are. And not just me, but everyone else in this world. And when we see that, when we know that, when we know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and we see that we are great sinners, and I mean great in the bad way, that we are sinners before a holy God that has holy standards, We need his grace. We need his mercy. 
We need his forgiveness. Those who humble themselves before the Lord say, Jesus Christ, you are the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, as you said in John 14, 6, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through you. That's humility. Number three is follow through. You can be vulnerable. You can humble yourself. But unless you change, nothing has changed. The scripture is very clear on this. And I'm not sure that this is preached so heavily in our churches, but I pray that it is. And I hope that it is. And maybe it's just the Christian subculture that doesn't seem to always embrace this. But folks, let me tell you this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If you promise something to someone you love and you don't follow through, what does it mean to them? If you speak something to someone else, but don't follow through, set aside the word promise because your word, scripture says, don't claim this or claim that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you just say something to someone else, but you don't follow through with it, what good is that to them? God says, I do not know if your heart has changed unless you change. And we can change because God has given us all of the ability to do so in him. In his power. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through the regenerative and restorative work of the Holy Spirit in us, we can turn away from sin and we can love God and we can worship God and we can make our life about God. But it's also a personal battle. You have to choose God, you cannot choose to continue to sin, to continue to sin and turn your back on God and expect God to see that as faith. Do Christians struggle with sin? Yes, they do. But we have to follow through to God in our faith. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And really, folks, it comes down to, are we worshiping God or are we worshiping something else? You know, Abraham struggled. Abraham had it rough here in just these last few chapters. And yet, what does he show here? He shows that the relationship that he already had with God, the covenant that he already had with God, he's going to follow through when God commands something of him. 
when God commands him to be holy and to be set apart from the things of this world, when God commands something so personal as circumcision, something painful as circumcision, when he's 99 years old, he follows through because he knows God has set this forth and there is no other option. He knows that God has set this forth and therefore it is God's word and therefore he wants to obey him because he loves him. Those who love God love the word of God. Those who love God see God's word as the instruction for our lives. We need to see God's word as the instruction for our lives. Because the Lord God is a jealous God. Because a jealous love is a good love. When it's a holy jealousy. And the Lord God has a holy jealousy. The very first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. God will not share you with the world. He won't do it. He won't do it. Let us not think for a second that we can have a foot in both camps. Read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, and see God making it vividly clear that he is calling us out from the world and to him. He's not calling us out from the world to leave us to our own devices. He's not calling us out from the world to leave us in no man's land, in the neutral zone. He is calling you out from that which is aimless, that which is purposeless, that which never satisfies your longings in your heart. And he's calling you to something that will fulfill every longing of your heart and every longing in my heart, and that is himself. The personal relationship with God is something that grows and it grows in dynamic, dynamic stages, dynamic growth. It's never static. God is close to those who seek him. God wants to be close to those who seek him. And those who seek him want to be close to him. It's a love relationship. And this holiness, this set-apartedness with God means that we're on his side. That we're working with him in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is building in this world right now and is working and the kingdom of God that will be forever secure in a hope and a future with him in heaven. Oh, let us be obedient like Abraham. When God speaks that we would listen, when God says, take action, that we take action and we follow him because we know with God, we are always secure. Let's pray. 
Holy God. Holy God. You who are set apart from this world. You know the type of love that we need. You know the kind of love we need. You know how we need to be loved. And Lord, that is how you love. You created us. You know us completely. And you have so much better for us than what we live and move and breathe next to in this world. Because God, you are calling us out from this world. You are calling us to be invested for the rest of our lives, day by day, in this personal, abiding, forever, everlasting relationship with you. And you will lead and we will follow. And we will lead those who you tell us to lead also for your glory. Oh Lord, continue to lead and guide us and call us to you, that we may know life and know it to the fullest as you have set it forth. We pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 18.